Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you for the last time the this last summer. Time. In our at-home studio. Oh, yes. We will be gone. I am so pleased to be able to tell you that my recovery from my Achilles tendon surgery has gone much better and much more quickly than the forecasts that were <laughs> oh, promised yes. to me. Um, I've been on two feet She's for, free. for a long time. Wow. I'm even playing tennis, which wow. is something I thought I could never do again. So, of course, as soon as I got back on two feet, yeah. we started planning um, travel yes, adventures. Indeed. We are anxious to get going. Shortly after this podcast hits the air, we're going to be out of here. Out of here. That's the day after Labor, Labor day. day. We hope to be in the motorhome traveling west to Rocky Mountain National Park, a place we haven't been to in probably 20 years. No, I think we were in our blue tent. No, in that was the, the last 70s, time we were there. The last time we were there. Our blue tent. I think that so. That was a long time. That was before RVing. And, and I was kind of shocked and We bought when our I first RV in 1976. So. This was before the RV. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it was before 1976. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of shocked You're when old. I called out there to make a reservation, and the lady said, um, the campground is full. And I said, really? what's going on? And she said, well, we're having this big Halloween celebration. And I said, but it's the second oh. week in September. And she said, well, we closed shortly after this because it starts snowing. And I thought, oh, we better get out Are there. Are we going to have another one of those adventures like yes, we had let yes. a year ago Pet last spring where we wanted to go inland and we couldn't because of the elevation and snow and stuff? Is it going to be snow? She no. Said, she said it could Can't start be. shortly after. we get In the Midwest, there. we have beautiful Septembers and Octobers. It's not going to be like that out in the Rocky Mountains? We, we, oh. we have to remember that as Midwesterners, we always forget to pay attention to elevation and... Depending on how much time you want to spend in the snow, we might have to alter our oh, no. itinerary, which is packed in jello. Which, this is already an alternate itinerary. Why? Well, because we had to alter our itinerary to go up the, the coast um, in Oregon and Washington. We were out west last time. And then yeah. Yeah. we're now doing what we wanted to do then. As long-time listeners know, we try to stay out of the way of young families who generally can only camp in summer, and um, our philosophy then is to immediately swoop out after you guys are all gone, but that might mean that we are getting out to some of the higher elevations too late. I don't know. I mean, when when did we leave Alaska? It was mid-September, right? Yeah. I thought that was fine. Yeah. So I think we'll be okay for a month. Anyway, so that's where we'll be. Uh, we have really no itinerary. We're just going to kind of work our way around and look at some of the national parks out west. Uh, we hope to go to Mount St. Helens and Crater Lake and the Columbia River Valley Gorge Gorge and then head south. Lassen. And we will not be home until, well, we'll be, we're going to leave the motorhome out west and we will be home May 13th. So all the podcasts between now and then will be done probably on the road. The December one could be here. Yes, probably. The, We're flying home for the holidays yes. for a little family. Leaving time. the motorhome. You know, we had a nice compliment. Uh, I, I, I read Facebook fairly often. I'm not really a social media type of guy. And as those of you who know, I don't post very often. But we somebody asked, 
what podcast do you listen to? And a listener by the name of Ross mentioned the RV Navigator. Thank you very much. But his comment was interesting. They've been doing it for over 10 years now, but I just started listening. So they, so the early episodes, tech reviews, sound like something from prehistory. <laughs> Which they are. Prehistory. When you think of how, oh. how technology moves so fast and, and how we're not going to have the Our satellite. Our podcasts are prehistory. <laughs> we're not going to have the satellite dish this year because we're going to cellular. I mean... A lot has Well, but that doesn't mean that satellite dish technology is out of date. we got a brand new satellite dish. Yes, we've been doing the podcast now since 2006, so we're coming up on uh, year number 12. Wow. Actually, a few more than 10. And we love doing it for you. It's it's been a great experience. And it strikes us that there are probably a number of you listening to us Mm -hmm. who weren't listening to us at the very (laughs) beginning. Or maybe you didn't start with number one. (laughs) Maybe you weren't born yet at that time. Oh, no. So we thought we'd take a moment. I don't think we have any 12-year-olds. Just to kind of say who we are and what we do and what we're about for those of you who haven't been with us for the whole journey. Yes, uh, we uh, are retirees now, approaching 70, and one of us is over 70. So our perspective is uh, that that of a baby boomer. I'm uh, the earliest of the baby boomers. And we have been traveling, though, for our whole lives. We decided early on not to have kids, and so we travel. Uh, have traveled extensively throughout our whole lives. To our point of view kind of is is that you can either travel or have kids, but the money, unless you're just really rich, which we're not. Because we were both working in education, right. and we did have the, the joy of having the summers free once we were done going to summer school for years on end, and that allowed us to travel more than a lot of working stiffs, but um, our whole focus for our whole life has been traveling. When we were still in education, we took kids overseas for 12 years. Oh, yes. Which is something that isn't fun for everyone, but we really loved it. We still have a lot of world left to see, and we're going to hopefully continue to share our travelers with you, whether <laughs> we are we in an RV or whether we are cruising on steroids or whatever else it is we decide to do. So we've been to 96 countries. We've been to all 50 states, uh, 49 of them in an RV, and we've been to lots of other interesting places. Uh, and that's why we kind of have a home base. That's why we still have our house, because we have both the motorhome and the house. And we have the house because it's nice to have a home base near O'Hare Airport where we can fly to any place in the world. So right now the motorhome is in storage, but it will be – that's a World War II plane flying over, over our, our house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're giving rides this yeah. week at the local airport. Anyway – People sometimes ask us, wouldn't we rather move somewhere else? Certainly friends and family have kept us here for all this time. And insurance benefits that we get as retired Illinois educators are also another motivation to keep ourselves around here. It feels like now as a semi-old person that every time I'm home, I spend my home time catching up on doctor's appointments, but it's certainly nice to have them more affordable than they would be if we lived somewhere else or were on the road. I, I talk to people uh-huh. our age who are full-timers, uh-huh. and you theoretically have health insurance, but sometimes it's hard to get in with mm-hmm. somebody to see mm-hmm. them. And the network of doctors that we have cultivated here over the years has become increasingly important yeah. to me. And we are certainly not independently wealthy. We depend on uh, two fixed pensions. But the thing that's changed for us is, is that we own our house, we own our motorhome, we own our cars, so that those uh, pesky monthly payments – don't uh, hinder us from 
traveling and things anymore. So we are in kind of a unique position in many ways that we can travel and re- retire and not really have to be- rely on income from working. We're camping, yeah. And we, we really have enjoyed the retired lifestyle. I retired in 2002. Martha retired in 2004. <laughs> she just... She just doesn't remember, but I have hard facts to back up. So we want you to know that our perspective, we don't really look at uh, RVing from the perspective of kids or pets because we have neither. We're not against kids or pets. No, no. And we used to have pets when we still lived here more regularly, but um, they just don't fit with our lifestyle. Right. So we just kind of leave that out of our talk, and uh, we'll leave that to the other experts who might be RVing. We do the podcast because of you. We have kind of stabilized out at about 10,000 downloads a month, which to me is incredible <laughs> unbelievably impressive i don't know what other podcasts do for uh, how they are doing in terms of their listenership i have, of course no have no idea how many listeners we have i only know how many downloads we have but to me if 10,000 people download our podcast i'm willing to do it we do it for free uh, we don't charge you anything we don't have any ads we don't take uh, any ads so we want you to realize that when we talk, it's our opinion, and we are telling it straight without any bias. You don't have to. Well, listen. there's a lot of bias, but it's not paid for bias. You don't have to listen long to understand that Ken is a techie and that I play the role of blonde, <laughs> even though I have never been blonde in my life. And you're not dumb. <laughs> and I, I sometimes, I hope I'm sometimes asking the questions that some of you would also have that are not as techie as Ken is. I was born a techie, so I just naturally delve off into these interesting things. But when it comes to the eclipse, I'm not nearly as a, as as much of a techie as Jeff is. No. No, our friend Jeff inspired us to make a plan to go see the eclipse, which was in southern Illinois. And has been posting on Facebook like there's it's going way on before st- and, <laughs> and still ongoing. He took some fabulous pictures. Yes, he did. And we saw one of them today, the, the one that with the arc of the sun going across the sky in the various stages of the eclipse. The eclipse was uh, more than what I expected, I guess. It was it? Well... It yes. was pretty much what I expected. Well, I, it happened in, in on a time frame that I expected, but it was cool. I'm very happy that I got to see it, but I did not find it moving or life-altering. Um, it was just cool. Well, no. and, I and, didn't cry. And I wish that it would have lasted just <laughs> like a Tom bit Skilling. longer. Um, by the time you finished yeah. taking a few pictures of it and of me, it was already over. <laughs> well, but it lasted four hours. Are we going to go again in 2024? Of course. Okay. We've got the. It's a date. So the uh, on our experience on the eclipse was actually quite good. Uh, unlike all the folks out in Oregon, we decided that we wanted to try to avoid all the crowds. It was about uh, 250 to 300 miles south of us where the total eclipse was. So that was a feasible drive. So on Sunday, actually, uh, we drove. And we didn't feel the need for a lot of musical festivals and no. v- vendors and. Eclipse cookies and things like that. We just wanted to see the eclipse. Although I did go online and buy a t-shirt. Did you? Yes, I did. It'll be here so I can show off that I actually was there. But anybody could have bought that shirt. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of the United States got to see the eclipse. But 
So in our area, the eclipse was only 87%. So, so our driving south go got us the extra 13%. To southern Illinois, where very few people live outside of Carbondale, <laughs> which was kind of the epicenter of activity for our state, um, the home of southern Everybody Illinois Everybody now knows the name Carbondale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we decided to stay a bit away from there. And we found, even though we started thinking about this relatively late. Um, Two months ago. We found a, a very inexpensive hotel. Hotel, which is how hotels usually are in southern Illinois, and we're able to drive from there to the Eclipse site, which we spent at a shopping mall parking lot. And the, we specifically chose this place because it was 0.8 miles from the entrance to, to the, the major expressway. expressway that was going to take us home. One of the things I didn't want to do is to kind of be out in the boondock someplace and thousand cars on rural roads trying to go back to the expressway, like in Carbondale. So our whole strategy was to make this as painless as possible. We drove down, not much traffic. We had a little construction traffic, but that was not uh, a result of the... Normal. And then we drove to Graysville, Illinois. To our lavish hotel. Had a nice dinner. Drove easily to Marion, Illinois, which is where we actually which is on the viewed expressway. the eclipse. We picked the the mall because we thought we might be able to have a cool drink. It was kind of hot and humid down there. Right. Um, use the restroom and then just swoop back to the expressway and, and truck on home. We got there. Even driving over there, easy it was easy. There was not much traffic. We stopped and got gas, and you know, did, did the, the town of Marion seemed to be pretty normal. We went over to the mall, and you know, malls have uh, little islands where they have trees and stuff. So we picked out a nice island with a tree for shade Set because up it was our hot. Chairs, we had our picnic. cooler. Well, we took along a lot of stuff. We took along extra water, extra food, just in case we got stuck someplace. You don't know what to. Expect. Yeah, you don't know what to expect, and, and in case something happened, we could have slept in the car or something. Anyway. So we were all ready for that. We pulled out our, our lawn chairs. We sat there in the shade for the first couple hours while we went through the mall. Had a little food at the mall. And, and watched the pre-eclipse watched as, the pre- as the sun well, watched the beginning of the was, was nibbled away by the moon. <laughs> Got out our glasses. And there were probably, I don't know, 20% of the lot was full. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Not just the parts hardly. where there were Just the part where there was some shade, right? There yeah. was virtually nobody parked out there besides uh, the workers' cars. And every so often the workers would come out from Sears yeah. or wherever. So it was a very pleasant, very pleasant experience. It was The temperature was okay in the shade, and, and we had a good time. Okay, so Eclipse. I mean, it was like... And spectacular, but too fast. It got very dark, very... I mean, it was just like all of a sudden. If you didn't... If you were in the 87% like we were here at home, I don't think you got to see the Eclipse, no, really, because no. this was... I mean, this really got dark. Yeah, and all the it was, and it happened. It had happened in a, in 30 seconds. And the it, crickets started Just all chirping. of a sudden, it got dark. And it got dark, dark. Yes. And that, that was pretty amazing to me. Even the slightest little sliver of sun... Provided "quote unquote" daylight, yeah. so we were quickly the running around taking pictures and stuff, out. which it we was, didn't we didn't have enough time to take pictures, but no. uh, we took what we could. And I have uh, a nice. <laughs> the reason why I know how fast it was is because I have a time lapse that it was amazing how fast how little time the in the time lapse is actually and dark. Two and a half minutes, or so, right? and we had the maximum in the whole yeah. United States, yeah. right? So okay, so. Right after the total eclipse, we pack things up, we put everything back in the car, and we jump in the car to take off. 
Stop yeah. and go to the bathroom. We don't even wait for the post-eclipse. We do nothing like that. Right we immediately after the darkness, after it gets light, we jump in the car, we rush over, and it took us 90 minutes to go the .8 miles to the expressway entrance. And then, you know how it is, you're driving towards the expressway, and you can see the cars going over the bridge on the expressway, over the road that you're on, and we start we could see it almost as soon as we were on the road. Because we weren't that far away. And we, well, we had plenty of time to watch. And the expressway when we got on was moving pretty well. And then the closer we got, to the, the slower. <laughs> it, was just, it was just like, oh, no. The closer we got, the slower the expressway went. We could just see the car slowing down. And then not moving and at course, all. And, of course, our entrance onto the expressway was just chock-a-block. I mean, it was just solid, air solid, solid. Trying, to get people get, trying to get on the expressway. We're pretty used to traffic jams because we live yeah. in Chicago, and we get into them fairly often as we come and go and enjoy cultural events in the city. But we have never been in a traffic <laughs> jam that was 200 miles long. <laughs> So, now, remember, how long did it take us to get down there? Five and a half hours. Five hours. Five hours. How long did it take us to get home? Thirteen hours. Thirteen hours. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was literally, I want to say nonstop. But that means we did not stop for dinner. We did not... We did not do anything else but drive home. Except we did we stop did, in a rest area to pee, which involved well, yeah, standing in line to get off the expressway, standing in line to park the car, <laughs> and standing in line to pee. But I do have to say about my fellow Illinoisans that those who were interested in eclipses are good people. I kept thinking I'm glad these people are not having road rage and shooting guns at each other because everybody was very mellow. Everybody took turns. There wasn't a yes. lot of hot yeah, dogging and nice. driving on the shoulder. And you could just see <laughs> but, people but the, losing it. I've never been in a 125-mile long traffic jam i mean it was we went 10 miles an hour and there were there were times when we would just sit Stop. for 10 minutes and we would have gotten off the expressway but there was really no other i want to say direct route home but who cares we should have gone but we heard other expressways were, we're just bad as, too and the the places where we could have deviated were after dark and we didn't really know them very yeah. well and well, we, we did what we did, and we got home at, what, 2.30 in the morning? 2.45 in the morning, we drove, we got home. We left before 2 o'clock, because the, the eclipse was at one thirty two or something like that. So we were headed towards the expressway before 2 o'clock, and it was uh, quite an experience. <laughs> if, if I were to do it over again, I would have done one of two other things. I would have just gone ahead and booked a hotel for, for the, second, the night. second night well, and just waited for everybody else to go home. Or we were very surprised yes. at the shopping mall to see a number of RVs. There were 15 RVs in the parking lot. And they had just come there and set up. And you could have just, when yeah, you saw we, how bad the traffic was, you could have just stayed I there. Would, I would have done that in a second had I known we could park there for free. Yeah, yeah. Because there was nobody know. that was really a kind of a shockeroo. But I guess they were local people. I don't know how they knew, but that was a so good So in 2024, <laughs> when we return to Southern Illinois, <laughs> we will try to learn some lessons from... A very interesting day.
And if you want to plan now for the 2024 eclipse, I have a nice link on the website that has all the details for 2024. So you can see where you need to be and you can make hotel reservations and all that sort of good stuff for 2024. One bad thing about... It's in uh, April, I think. One thing about that one is that it is in the spring in April, and certainly our part of the country is much more likely to have rain and clouds, Mm. because it would have been really galling to have gone through that experience and not had the clear blue skies. As we saw, all those those folks in Carbondale, which was, what, about 50 miles away from us? All those folks in Carbondale, they only got to see the total eclipse for like 30 seconds because of the clouds, whereas we had perfect viewing. Yeah. There were clouds around. Which, of course, we could have been just as unlucky, yeah. But in our particular case, we were in a perfect location. We had a nice view of the sky. We could see the eclipse with our glasses. We're very glad we had the glasses. And certainly the people who went out west were fairly confident that the sky would be clear, and it was from what I read. But in April, I don't know. Well, we'll decide. So on the way home, uh, in my 13 hours of driving... I had plenty of time to test out something that I've really appreciated in the past, but I appreciate it as much more now, and that's the ACC. Adaptive Cruise Control. Our new car, our Jeep, has adaptive cruise control. Can you get it on an RV? Well, that's really interesting. Let me talk about that, but hold that question. All right. Okay. Um, The ACC says the word cruise control, which brings to mind high-speed driving. Which we weren't doing that day. Which we were not doing. But the ACC that we have, and I assume that it's typical, has radar that checks the distance between you and the cars ahead of you. And so if I set it at 45 miles an hour, it doesn't go 45 miles an hour unless there's free space ahead of me. And the really nice thing about ACC is is that it relieves you in heavy traffic, <laughs> as we had for 125 miles, so I was able to test it very extensively. It, in heavy traffic, it relieves you of the responsibility of having to brake and accelerate, brake and accelerate, because it does it all for you. So the only thing I had to do is steer. Uh, steer. <laughs> right. And I think about uh, autonomous cars. What, what could, it would have been very cool to have an autonomous car here because you put it in drive and it goes and and then we could have played games and watched movies. Taking a nap. Taking a nap, whatever we wanted to do. But this is the next step to autonomous driving, I think. And the ACC is something that you really want to look for on your next car because it's very useful in heavy traffic. I used it virtually the whole way. Unlike other cruise controls, it stays active until you, you literally you stop. Break. And then it, it stops you and it says, I'm turning myself off. But even in the even creeping along, the ACC maintains the distance between you and the car ahead and it uh, speeds up and slows down as the traffic allows so that you never have to worry about... Uh, hitting somebody and you never have to worry about being too far behind and having somebody jump in in front of you because you can set the distance. So if you are in the market for a new car, then I would definitely take a look at ACC as a must-have option. I wouldn't have another car without it. Now, our car has some other safety features, like it warns you when somebody's in the lane next to you. Is that all part of that package? Uh, I would assume so, but I don't know. Uh Uh, We did pay extra, of course, for the ACC, but um, that was the one thing that I wanted. Lane departure eh, and the side warning 
I and think that's nice good. to have. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's not, but, it, but it isn't as impressive as the ACC. Especially because that day. When you're driving along at where I've used it mostly on high-speed driving, you know, you're going over 50 or 60, and you, you punch in uh, a speed, and it just, you know, as cruise controls do. But this one will slow you down if the traffic slows down. But even it's set at 60, it will slow you right down to zero or five miles an hour or two miles an hour if you need to if the traffic uh, and you noticed <laughs> that it was working right yeah i mean it, it definitely the braking is very very intensive if it needs to be right. and, you know if the traffic slows down in a hurry it will break Which and it will break times, in, a, yeah. in an emergency way if it needs to one of the things that we had a little hard time with i think we still do is is that I can react sometimes if I'm paying good attention faster than it does, so I have to be careful not to press on the brake. Because if I press on the brake, then it's my responsibility. And I think the, the other... <laughs> and it, that disengages it, in other words, and it won't st- it won't stop. The other area where it's a bit weak is when somebody pulls right in uh-huh. front of you and it doesn't see them immediately. You mm-hmm. see them before yeah, it yeah, sees yeah. them. Yeah, there are, there are occasions. And I'm not sure about motorcycles. Mm-hmm. or Vespas or whatever, mm-hmm. and how it will react to uh, a, a small vehicle in front of you. But but we didn't have much of that. So. Uh, no. <laughs> that was not much of a problem. Most of the time we were going 10 to 15 miles an hour. Really? That fast? Well, when we weren't stopped. What about my question? Oh, yes. I think it's Spartan is now coming out. They have it for the new motorhomes, and I expect the 2018-19 models will have it as an option for your motorhome, too. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something that's going to be standard on cars, like backup cameras and other things that are cruise control in itself. You know, are pretty much standard on most cars. Uh, I think this is going to become standard, and the and the components will be. Oh, and another thing too. I was a little interested to know whether it was going to work well in the rain. Mm-hmm. And it worked well in the rain because yeah, we, we of course, we, it was not the perfect night, and we had rain too, heavy rain, awesome lightning, awesome lightning, right? And we had plenty of time to watch it. I, as a driver, had plenty of time to watch it. You had plenty of time to watch it. <laughs> Everybody around us had plenty of time to watch it, and then it rained, and it worked well in the rain. My understanding is is that uh, snow can cause some problems because if it freezes over the the sensor, then of course the radar doesn't work. But our goal is to never drive in <laughs> snow again. <laughs> we go out west hey, and get talk, the Let's talk about something much more fun. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, All right. Tech time. Tech time. Well, not tech. You've enjoyed this, too. We've had a drone for a number of years, as most of you know. You've probably seen some of the pictures that we've taken. And I had a Phantom 3 standard, but this was my third drone, but... It's a very nice drone, flies very well, but the unit itself is fairly large. And as a traveler and an RVer, uh, it just didn't work out very well because it took up such a big space in our bay. And I had a nice hard case for it, and I could never take it. It had a backpack type of case that I could put on my back, but then I couldn't take anything else. So we didn't use it very often, except uh, when we were camped for a long period of time. And I think some of the regulation yeah. and hoopla about drones and we didn't want to offend people or get yeah. ourselves in yeah. trouble, it made me a little hesitant. Yes, I agree. So uh, I've been looking at a new drone from DJI called the Spark. Now, this is a major departure for <laughs> drone users because this drone is 7 inches by 7 inches whereas my other one is 24 by 24. It's so small it can fit in my purse. It's Literally. Amazing. So I've been looking at this drone for quite a while 
and the finance committee met. <laughs> and after due deliberation, the finance committee and the 49% was able to persuade the 51% that it was worthwhile purchase. So uh, for $500 in round numbers, it was $499, which is the same price as the Phantom was. standard. Uh-huh. Um, I bought the Spark. And it arrived this week, and it's been very cool. The limitation is that uh, it only gets 16 minutes of battery life, whereas the other one gets about 25 per battery. That's about the only limitation. I was a little concerned because it's so small relative to the size of its camera that it would be weak in the wind. No. And while we haven't had it in high winds no. yet, it seems to be as stable and calm as the old right. one. It has a two-axis gimbal as opposed to the Phantom, uh, which has a three-axis gimbal. But the camera's virtually the same. Uh, uh, this doesn't do 4K, but I don't need to do 4K most of the time. It's so tiny that you can, as she says, put it in your purse or carry it in a... I bought a little hard case for it. Put it in our suitcases and take it in almost anywhere we want to. Not only is it much less intimidating for anybody else to see... Quieter? It, qu- quieter, but uh, it it's easy to set up because it doesn't have... It doesn't require a, a controller. So the other one had not only the the flying machine, but it had the controller. And this whole quadcopter is only the size of the old controller, I would say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, And I don't think it weighs as much. It only weighs like 10 and a half ounces. So it doesn't even weigh a pound. Flying for 60 minutes is not really much of a problem. And not having the controller controlling it with my phone uh, through Wi-Fi has worked out pretty well. And you've also been experimenting with its other feature, which is to fly it with hand controls. You have to... The ultimate selfie. Set it with your face, like face recognition. Right. And then you wave your hands around and it does stuff. I would say so far you've not had a total communication path with it, but you are learning and it is learning. But the gesture controls are something that could be developed through firmware. So you wouldn't even need a phone or an iPad or anything to control it. Well, and to take a selfie. So you can say to it, uh, recognize me and then go off uh, 10 feet, 10 meters back, 10 meters high and take a picture of where I am. And that's cool. Very. So that most of the time you want, you know, you, you would like a selfie, but... The selfie sticks just don't get enough of the of the surrounding area in, and so this way you can we can just jump out of the car for a few minutes and take a selfie and be on our way. So you'll be seeing lots more selfies, and it has in the movie modes it has uh, follow mode so that you can uh, be driving the RV and it will be following you and all sorts of cool features. So take a look at the Spark. And the fact that maybe two three days after it arrived, um, you found somebody who wanted to buy an old one. <laughs> Also made the finance committee very happy. So I got $300 for the old one, which was a pretty good good deal. Good job. Of course, he crashed on the first day he owned it, but that's okay. He gave me the money, so that's all I really care about. Oh, I wanted to mention that uh, we saw all the the pictures of the people at the eclipse, all the people boondocking and stuff. Big crowds in Oregon. Oh, boy, the traffic there must have been. There was traffic coming in and traffic going out and a lot of rural roads and stuff. But I was happy to read in an article, which you can find the link to on the webpage for this month, that the campgrounds uh, have emerged from the eclipse in the black. There was one uh, campground that was, they were looking to build a new barn, and they were able to collect enough money from boondocking campers to yeah, build Yeah, I don't think things. you should call them campgrounds. You no. should call them camping fields. places. <laughs> they were fields yeah. that they, they rented out. Yeah. And that the and just like with us, I guess, the, the big push in 
getting reservations happened in the last couple of months. I guess people, I guess the hype on the TV and got people going. Again, the news just kind of got people going. So that's exciting. So I want to talk for a minute about an interesting idea that I read about. Um, I have, as you know, I've struggled with uh, the kind of batteries to get for the motorhome. And, of course, the last time we bought batteries, over a little over a year ago, we went with what the standard old lead-acid batteries, the, the wet cells, that because I just couldn't justify buying AGMs, and I couldn't. I wanted lithium really bad, but I just the price of the lithium is just very high. And in our climate, and in they're our a climate, little problematic. Yeah. So we went with wet cells. We have eight batteries, and we have that's about eight hundred amps, or was it nine twenty-five or something like that? Anyway, but we have a one hundred twenty-five per. Yeah, so that's about right. So we have uh, quite a few. Batteries and of course they weigh a lot and it would be nice to get them out and I, they need servicing and they have a, a, a quite a limited life although they they do the job for us and we have really no complaints but I was re- reading this website about a guy who went and bought the batteries out of a le- a, a junked electric junked car? electric car a Leaf a Nissan Leaf and he bought the batteries out of it from a junkyard and is installing them into his motorhome. This has a lot of. This is very cool. I never thought about using the batteries out of an electric car in your motorhome, but it apparently is uh, quite feasible. <laughs> she looks skeptical. Well, I know nothing about this, no. as it's been well Neither established. Neither do I. Neither do I. I never even thought about it. But to me, a car is a relatively small thing, and a motorhome. Well, no, 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 no. We're not driving. But but all the things that we run in our motorhome, the fridge and everything. Oh, I think. Uh, see, I see the the, the, the motorhome is having much less demand. I would think so uh-huh. to, to accelerate into. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these are manufactured batteries, of course, but they are they're manufactured in, in a large quantity, and they're going to be coming down in price because electric cars are coming down in price. Even our car. I mean, <laughs> let's take them out of our car. <laughs> I'll just go in there and raid it. <laughs> Tell them we'll, we'll just we have a we have a hybrid. We'll just take the batteries out. We'll just use the engine. Use the gas engine. Oh, just no. Just put them in. Oh, just put them in the motorhome when we travel. <laughs> Swap it out. Swap it out. Piece no. of cake. Anyway, so uh, this guy was able to buy the batteries, which that was one of the biggest problems I had was is that spending three four thousand dollars on a set of batteries, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. But if you could get car batteries for less money and and use them in the motorhome, that could definitely be a feasible option. Anyway, I don't know how if this is gonna work out, but this guy is doing it. So great idea. If you want to watch the video and, and read about it, I once again have the the link on our website so that you can read about it, and maybe you could give me some feedback. Uh, also, I found an article about uh, recharging ionics. Rechargeable alkaline battery competes with lithium ions. A startup company in Massachusetts unveiled what it claims is a major breakthrough in battery design design technology. They say it will make solid-state alkaline batteries a viable alternative to lithium-ion and other high-energy storage technologies. So maybe there's a new type of battery on the horizon which will offer us the advantages of the wet cells and the advantages of the lithium combined into one battery. That sounds pretty exciting, and I was uh, interested to read this article. And once again, the link 
will be on the website. Exactly. We left off a couple of uh, apps. Our last episode was about apps. Apps that we use. And we use tons of apps. And now I've got the new DJI app to fly my... Your new Spark? <laughs> my new Spark. <laughs> it is cool. And it works well. I would like to mention Lonely Planet Trips. I don't know anything about it. Lonely Planet Trips. Um, I looked it, it up, but you, it didn't mean anything. Lets to me. you plan trips and to archive the maps. And this is one of the things that we like to do. Well, it's so kind of a blogging app, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And it's so if you're looking for well, and it, includes, it includes maps, pictures, and things that you want, right. you know, right. of your travels. And of course, we have been using Track My Tour, which does word, the same thing, which for free. I think Lonely Planet Trips is also free, but Track My Tour lets you just say, here I am, put a dot on the map. Here I am, put a dot on the map. And then you can put pictures there, and so that it shows the whole route that you're taking. And it's a very cool app, and I would strongly suggest you give it a try. And then a camera app called Prisma is also very cool because it has very interesting filters that you can put on your pictures. And my wife would love this. I would? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> While the finance committee was flat on her back recuperating from her Achilles surgery, but she recognizes she, who she is. She was ambushed by somebody who I ambushed who thought he needed a new TV, even though the TV that we have was wonderful. It was a little too big for where we. Well, you want to be ready for the future. The picture was spectacular, but for some reason, we needed to get a new TV and. Because I, my resistance was 4K, 4K, down, 4K, we did. 4K. So then we had the OLED, old TV, OLED, 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 which usually gets LCD. sold to somebody else, as the drone was recently. Yes. But I was told that the old TV had no value, even though even though it was an expensive, good TV, a Samsung. And it was beautiful. It was only a sixty inch. So, so who wants to see, who wants a teeny tiny sixty inch? You're talking to people who live in RVs, Ken. So. <laughs> We we have repurposed 60 inch, 60 inch. the old TV, and Ken had what he thought was yes. an original I, thought. In the middle of the night, I'm having this brainstorm. What could I use this old TV for? Because it, it is a very nice LED LCD TV, and it, it worked fine. But I just wanted to have a 4K OLED TV. And so you do. And so I do, yes. And a bigger screen, of course. But I didn't think I could really get any money out of the old one, so I'm thinking, what can I do with it? And being a photographer, I have tons of pictures. And because our house has almost no space to display pictures, well, it has walls, museum. but you know how many pictures can you put on the wall when you have thousands that you want to display? So I thought, ah, this would be very cool. I'll make a frame, or I'll take it to a frame store. I'll put a nice picture frame around the TV and mount it on the wall, and it'll be like a huge uh, you know, frame that you show pictures on. And lo and behold, he found that this original thought that he had in the middle of the night had been contemplated by actually, others. Actually, I find out now, Samsung actually sells these from the factory. With frames. With frames. Uh -huh. And there are numerous companies out there that do the work for you um, <laughs> if you are repurposing your old TV. And well, or buying it new. I mean, and you could do given it. that Ken's carpentry skills do not well, match his technology well, skills, well, I thought using some professional would be a good idea. Oh. And we found a local company who we took our old TV to, and 
the choice that we made was when the TV is off, it looks like a mirror, well, which is well, we framed a with a frame that we chose. And when the TV is on, it displays thousands and thousands <laughs> of your wonderful photographs. So it's like a photo viewer like you used to sell. I can remember buying like the little, them. Like the little nine-inch ones that you have with the city on I bought them it. at Bed Bath & Beyond. Right, right. Those kind. So we're using this uh, old TV, which displays pictures very nicely. And when the TV is off, because it's a two-way mirror, literally a two-way mirror they put over the front of it, it looks like it really looks just like a mirror. Like they use on CSI when they interrogate criminals. Exactly. But when you turn the TV on, the mirror kind of disappears, and you see the pictures. So that when we're when our guests come over, they'll go, oh, wow, what a nice mirror you have in your living room. And then you turn the TV on, and you have nice pictures that uh, can just kind of dis- be displayed in the background. Now, is this a great idea or what? It is a great idea. And she bought into it. It's just a little too big. Well, yeah. So they have uh, they they have to build a frame around it, and so there's quite a lot of complexity to the well that I wouldn't have guessed was there. The professionals did a nice job. We now have it mounted on the wall, and I'll include a picture. And it's really quite nice, and it works well. It now I'm to our home. now I'm having to reformat all of my pictures because I want them all to be 16 by 9. So they display to their best advantage on a, on a on big TV. TV, right? Otherwise, if they're square, then you take advantage of the nice tv so that's kept me busy for a while we've talked every so often about boondocking often when i talk to or read um comments from people that are new to RVing, yes boondocking is a topic that's kind of scary well and i would say thinking back to our earliest times i can remember some times when we would take our van and not plug it in and sleep somewhere and by the morning the tea, the fridge had gone off and the milk was yeah. sour and and this is something that you have to learn how to do with your particular and the features that it has and how much power that it consumes exactly. and whether you have solar panels on your roof or not but it certainly is liberating to be able to camp in places that are not official campgrounds i usually use the word boondocking whenever i'm not plugged into a pedestal but we're going to link to an article that makes it very clear that what I often do is dry camping and that you have to be in the boondocks in order to boondock. And I think one of the things that's important here is that they show you kind of steps to get yourself into the boondocking or dry camping mode. Things to try to see if it's something that you want to enjoy because it is a different style of quote-unquote camping and it does take uh, certain tools and techniques that you need to master before you should just kind of jump off and do it. And many people, when they buy a rig, think that they're just going to go out and park at any old place in the in the wilderness and the thing is going to be uh, operational for weeks at a time and that's just not going to happen. So you want to kind of take boondocking in stages and they talk about starting by maybe spending a night or two at a Walmart or a Cracker Barrel or a Kmart or whatever parking lot suits you best. And when you're there, you should follow the rules of the boondocking community and not set up the awning and the grill and all that sort of stuff. But if you're in the Walmart parking lot and your battery has gone dead and your milk has exactly. gone sour, you can go in the Walmart and buy more milk. When, well, when you're in the forest... Well, yes, and, you're, and you'll be close to town or something and you can get to someplace that will 
help you out if you need to. So the next step, they say, is go to primitive campgrounds with designated campsites, dump and water dump and water fill stations like Forest Service or BLM, which is the Bureau of Land Management, state parks and some national parks and monuments where there are no hookups. And then you could spend a few days there, put out your slides and put out the grill and all that sort of stuff and see how long your RV will let you stay there. And this is not not the park will let you stay there, but how long your RV will let you stay there because there are some definite limitations. Uh, do you have enough electric and, you know, do you need a generator? The, those are all questions. But you're still in an official place and there's water around and probably uh, pit toilets and that sort of stuff so that you can take advantage of those. Now, there are also... Bureau of Land Management, BLM, which I mentioned a minute ago, long-term visitor areas, uh, and where we have done this mostly by quartzite out in Arizona, where you just go off and camp any old place that you can find a spot that's level and dry. That's truly boondocking. That, well, yeah, that that would be the official boondocking, and there's no campsite, and there's nothing, nothing around, and you might have to go 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 miles in order to refurbish yourself and get yourself uh, resupplied and restocked, and that would be you know after you know how long you can stay, that would be a good good place to to try out. And then there are des- designated dispersed camping areas that are designed for camping areas but have no services or hosts. BLM lands most of the time have a, at least a host, and they do sometimes cost like twenty five dollars for three weeks or something like that. And then there's open land camping, which BLM and Forest Service permit camping anywhere unless expressly prohibited by signs or are fenced off. You can follow any dirt road or any old logging road and camp anywhere. You can find you can get off the road and not impede traffic, even if there isn't any traffic. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. So do you need a generator? Do you need solar? How much solar do you need? These are all things that are pretty unique to every RV and your own particular lifestyle. So these are the ways you're going to figure out how to make that work for you. The other thing that the article doesn't mention where we have dry docked the most, I would say, is at RV rallies and RV shows yeah, where you camp yeah. in a parking lot. Yeah, that's true. But there you're kind of stuck for four or five days right. unless you leave. Right. So uh, you'd want to know how long you could stay in your motorhome comfortably. And if you have a CPAP or other medical devices, then you need to know how long it can be, it can go, and how much time you need to run your generator. If you have a generator, if you need to get a generator, how big it needs to be. These are all issues that uh, that are <laughs> critical when you're when you're boondocking and will become important to you if you forget them. And you also need to pay attention to the size of your holding tanks, not only for the fresh water that you are beginning the trip with, but where it all is going to go at the end of the trip uh, before you have a chance to pump out or dump once again. And as I watch these RV shows where newbies are buying their first RV and they say, it only has a 10-gallon hot water heater, and that's not nearly enough water for what I need to take a shower and I'm thinking, okay, you're going to be in deep doo-doo when it comes time to empty those holding tanks yeah, if you're, you if you're boondocking. So to me, a 10-gallon t- tank is very big, and a 6-gallon one has always serviced us very well for the kind of showers that you take when you're on the road. Or you may just want to get this new device, <laughs> which transforms air into this water. This is a very cool new device, too. Is this a real thing? Yeah. Well, it's called a water, well, it's a water harvester for boondockers, even in the desert. Imagine boondocking without ever worrying about restocking your water 
uh, even in dry or desert climates, using only the power of the sun. I assume what it does is that it must take air in and then... Chemically breaks the chemically? ions apart or puts them together. H2O. It looks like, it looks kind of like a toaster oven. Yeah. That the future that future may be around the corner with a demonstration recently of a water harvester that uses only ambient sunlight to pull liters of water out of air each day and in conditions as low as 20% humidity, the level common in many arid areas. However, I should mention that it only gets 2 to 3 liters of water a day. But that would be plenty for drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, not plenty, but anyway, it would be a supplement anyway. I, they have no idea how much it's going to cost. But the box is not that big. It's not out of reach, range for putting in an RV. Well, I think the last thing we'll talk about here is about buying your first RV. We always get questions about what kind of RV should I buy. We started off with a tent. But then we went to a camper van. camper van of Class B which weren't called Class Bs when we bought it in 1976. And then we went to a travel trailer, and then we went to a fifth wheel, and then another fifth wheel, and then two motorhomes. So we've had quite a lot of experience, and, of course, we are most satisfied with the motorhome. Well, she looks it, quizzical. No, I'm thinking about for this point in my life I am, yeah. when we were in our conversion van, in the van, it was our second car, and we had nowhere yeah. to put a motorhome. Yeah, it depends are. on what stage of life you're and in. And motorhomes weren't, yeah. And motorhomes are very expensive, and unless you have the luxury of having a lot of time to use one, I'm sh- not sure it's you can justify it. So th- this article, which I would strongly, if you're in this position of deciding what kind of RV to buy. Starting out. Starting out. I would take a look at this article called called Buying Your First RV, and of course I'll put the link on our website. And basically they ask you some questions which will help you decide which type of RV is best for you. We're going to make just a couple of comments about these. Before you begin your wandering lifestyle, select the perfect RV. Right away you save huge sums of money by deciding whether you want mobility or living space. So what have we decided? Well, living space has been a priority for us because we're gone so long. Well, but mobility is what we've decided on, is most important. Ask yourself the following. So motorhomes, mobility, big, fifth wheel, big fifth big wheels. Big fifth wheels give you a lot of living space, but and, they're hard and to unique, move around. And unique designs. And we have seen many people have real trouble with big big fifth wheels. Parking. Parking. And to getting into campgrounds. People don't understand that when we talk about a 40-foot motorhome, we're talking about total length. And that when you're talking about a 40-foot travel trailer or a 40-foot fifth wheel, you're talking about 40 feet plus the the tow vehicle. vehicle. And you cannot use your trailer fifth wheel without the, the car or the tow vehicle. So... That's the total length. We unhitch our, our car, and we are 40 feet. Ask yourself the following questions. Do you want to stay in state, county, and city parks to explore the area? And we say that's not a high priority. We do stay in state parks. Often, but we not do, always. Right, but it's not a priority. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we don't like trees. Small size is critical if you want to stay in these and we're talking about up to in, maybe 30 feet? In the forest. In the for- that, And 30 feet total. Right, length. right. And that's what you have to consider. Do you, do you want to stay in one location for each season? If you do, get a fifth wheel. If and, you don't, 
get a motorhome. And many what we call seasonal campers get a fifth wheel and just park it somewhere for the season. It gives them lots of living space and they're very comfortable there, but they don't have to move it around and repark it every few days as we do. Yeah, there was a comment on Harvey is just going through Texas right now. And there was a comment on one of the of the message boards about why don't those stupid people who have their fifth wheels in campgrounds, why don't they move them out of the way of the storm? And the answer? They may not have a tow vehicle. They don't have a tow they vehicle. They can move it. Exactly. They don't have any place to take it once they, they, they don't have any experience moving it. So this, is, uh, this isn't what fifth wheels are, are used for many times. And we've stayed in especially large resorty type campgrounds where people leave, leave their fifth wheel parked in the campground's lot. And then the campground places right, it for exactly. them on their site so they don't even have to worry about parking it. So that's, beach. That's another There's a huge, huge parking area. Exactly. But then you don't go anywhere else. And if a storm comes, you don't have there any you choice. Are. You can't You can't move it. Are you planning to live in it all year round in your RV? Which would you get? A uh, motorhome. Yes, absolutely. Are you an adventurer or a nester? I think we're adventurers. And we have a motorhome. Yeah. We like and if you're a nester around. where you want to sit for weeks at a time, then get yourself a fifth wheel. Do you want to live the same lifestyle you had in your house or streamline your lifestyle to take advantage of mobility? Our goal is to take our house with us, <laughs> <laughs> and our motorhome allows that because it has a huge amount of storage. And, and can have, I can even take along my drone. I can bring more shoes now because your drone is much smaller. All right. I mean the drone case area is going to be taken up by shoes? Shoes. Oh, no. <laughs> she's, oh, she's. Well, the finance committee has to get <laughs> benefits out of it. Jeez. <laughs> All right. So I think we're about ready to end, but I want to talk about uh, one last article, which you're going to want to go to the website to look at. And this is an article called The Most Iconic RV from Every Decade. And they talk about – well, this it's a very interesting article. Personal recreational vehicles are synonymous with road trips in summer. Whether you're taking a cross-country drive in a giant motorhome with all of the amenities of a real house or camping without – Camp, or camping out in a renovated van, these vehicles epitomize freedom and travel, and they're getting more and more popular. Beginning with the first RV-type vehicles in the 1910s, which included two small cabins built on the, to the back of a regular car, RVs eventually evolved into homes and even mansions on wheels. And they have each decade the iconic RV that uh, epitomizes that particular t- point in time. Very interesting article and I think well worth a read and you can look at it by looking by viewing our webpage with the link and I think after you read this article and look at the pictures it will inspire you to visit the RV museum in Elkhart Indiana ah, which yes. has oh, many of these physical oh, yeah, that's representations of many of these units ah, yes that's a, good idea. that's a good idea so with Labor Day approaching here uh, at the beginning of September 2017 we will be off and maybe just maybe we can see you in a campground near us in the next month or two or three as we head out to the northwest. So happy to be on the road again. On the road again. She's on the road again. Happy travels. <laughs> <laughs>